Sometimes things, sometimes things just don't work the way they're supposed to. Have you ever noticed that, right? It might be a piece of machinery you have, an automobile, a computer. You ever had a computer not work the way it was supposed to? All right, it wasn't functioning the way it was designed to function. And, and uh, so uh, when we talk about that, we can talk about it's dysfunctional. Anybody here have a dysfunctional computer? Oh, a few of you, okay. Uh, anyway, we, we get that idea. Dysfunction means things are not working the way they're supposed to. When things don't work the way they're supposed to, sometimes we don't notice it right away, but it catches up with us eventually. Sometimes it makes it evident right away that this is not the way things are supposed to work. Well, it's that way in our lives too, isn't it? Has, has your life ever not worked the way that you thought it should? You know, in your relationships or in your money or in your health or in your plans or whatever, you know, has, has not turned out the way you thought it should. It, things aren't working properly. And so you say there's dysfunction in your life. And the reality is that all of us experience dysfunction in our lives because none of us get it perfect. None of us do everything right. We have things by nature within us that work against all of that. Uh, and so we find ourselves being dysfunctional different times, different places in our lives. And that means because we typically are in families at some level, one way or another, uh, that our families can very easily become dysfunctional. Right? And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of dysfunctional families, but all I want to say to you is that uh, when we're talking about dysfunctional families, we're talking about families that are not working the way they are supposed to. And when I say the way they're supposed to, uh, as, as a Christian and, and one who accepts what God has said in the Bible, we're talking about family is not operating the way God says it's supposed to, and therefore is dysfunctional. And certainly there's a huge spectrum of dysfunction, isn't there? And we know, you know, some of you in your background, you would look and say, man, do I come from a dysfunctional family? And, and you're still dealing with stuff today because of that. And others, you might say, well, yeah, we, I, we did have our dysfunctions, but, you know, it wasn't too bad. So what we're doing in this sermon series is looking at what does God say about how our families are supposed to work? What do we need to understand? What do we need to do? What responsibilities do we need to assume? And where do we need to trust God in all of this so that our families might be what God wants them to be? And here's the thing, when our families are what God wants them to be, oh, that is absolutely the best thing for us and for every member in our family. So we want to continue on this. If you have not been here for the other sermons in this series so far, or online, you haven't seen them, we encourage you to go to our website and uh, either watch the previous sermons in this series or listen to them on a podcast. So we really encourage you to get those things. So today, uh, we're going to continue to focus in on these things. And so I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go to the Bible. Let's start there today. The book of Ephesians. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, we really encourage you to follow along. And there are, there are Bibles in the chairs there. And we're going to be on just one page in that Bible today. And that page number is 1,346. Page 1,346. Again, I really encourage you to take that out and follow along. Um, so Ephesians chapter 5. And we are going to start in verse number 15. 
Ephesians 5, verse 15. Now, so far in this chapter, the Apostle Paul has talked about, hey, there's certain things that don't belong in your life and you need to be motivated by love. And when you're motivated by love, these things won't be a part of your light, life. And then he says we need to walk in the light of what God has shown us. Uh, you know, don't, don't live like the darkness that's out there in the world. Live in the light that God has shown us. And then we pick up here in verse number 15. He says this, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now when the Bible uses the word walk like this, it means how you live, it's how you're walking through life we might say. So it is how you are living your life. So he says, see then that you're living your life circumspectly. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's the idea is this, the word means, um, the idea, if, if there was a hole here, and you circum, the idea of around, you, you're very careful walking around that hole. So the idea is it's, it's paying attention so that you don't fall in someplace you don't want to be. Well, live circumspectly, not as fools. Uh, the Bible tells us in, in the book of Psalms that uh, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. A fool doesn't uh, pay attention to the fact there's a God. And so he's saying, live your life very carefully as though there is a God because there is one. Not like a fool who doesn't give any thought to God, okay? That leads you to foolish decisions. And then redeeming the time because the days are evil. Uh, anybody here feel like you have, look, I got way more time than I need, anybody? Say so if you do, which let me know I could use some of it. You could share yours with me. Uh, but we don't, we have a limited amount of time. And, and so he says, redeeming the time, making good use of it, that you're getting something of value for your time. And he says, because the days are evil. Um, and the idea is that there's a lot of stuff working against you, isn't there? From just the regular stuff that happens in life to sometimes those who have ill intentions to you. It's working against you. So make very, very good careful use of your time. And then verse 17, he says, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? So this is just a very clear contrast. You have two choices in life about how you live. You either live according to the Lord's will, which is what he's revealed in his, in his word. Here's how you live your life. Here's how you interact with people. Here's how you interact with God. And, and you know, on and on it goes. You either live the way God has said and you keep growing and learning what that is and doing better at it and you keep doing that or you are unwise. You're unwise. Do you remember the story that Jesus told about uh, the fool and the wise man and how they built their houses? Remember that story? He said that the foolish person, the unwise person, builds his house on things, just, it was talking about sand, but it, you build your life on things that won't hold it up. Or you can build your life on what God says, which is a solid, solid foundation to build upon. And, and the storms of life are coming, and that will show what you've been building your life on. If you've been building your life on things that aren't gonna hold the weight not going to work. So when we build our, our lives on God's will, what he says in his word, uh, then we have a foundation that will hold firm and steady during the storms of life that come. Verse 18, he says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Dissipation means squandering, wasting. You're wasting your life, okay? Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And really what he's talking about here is what are you going to let control your life? And he uses wine as an example here, right? You can let, in other words, as you begin to drink alcohol, after a little bit, it begins to affect you a little bit, doesn't it? And the more of it you drink, the more of it affects you. And the, the reality is, is the more that affects you, the less you realize that it's affecting you. You see what I'm saying? And what do you do? You end up wasting your life. Okay? It doesn't have to be wine. It could be anything that takes control of your life. It could be money that takes, your love of money that takes control of your life. It could be um, Sex, sex that you get addicted to and have this problem because you aren't doing it God's way and it, it you know, just takes over your life. It can be bitterness, but anything that you let begin to control your life. And what he's saying in his word is don't let any of those kinds of things control your life because you're going to waste your life if you do. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And what's he talking about? Well, when we receive Christ as Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God moves in. Okay? The Holy Spirit moves in. And the way this is supposed to work is that we go through life yielding to, to God, yielding to the Holy Spirit, because He will help us to understand this word. And when you're in a situation where you say, man, what do I do? You say, God, what do I do? The Holy Spirit is going to give you a sense about, you know, yes or no, or do or don't. And, and you need to yield to that. And so being filled with the Spirit is when we open ourselves up to God and say, okay, God, I want you to control my life. I want you to be the influence that runs my life. Okay? All right, so let's continue here. This begins to result in how we interact with each other. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And, and that's what we've tried to do here today already. Hopefully we did. And, and most of you made melody with your voices. A few of you probably only made melody in your hearts, okay? And that's all right. But the idea is we come together and we worship and we encourage each other and, and sing about the Lord and, and what he says in his word. And, and then it results in what? Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this ought to produce this gratitude in our hearts. Oh God, thank you that you have, first of all, provided a way for my sins to be forgiven and for me to, to know that I have eternal life when this life ends and actually eternal life already. Thank you for that. Thank you that you've rescued me from, from sin and what it does in our lives. And thank you that you're still working in my life and on and on, but we become grateful people. You know, every Sunday when you guys show up and I look out here and I see you or I meet you in the parking lot or in here, I am so grateful that you guys come and that you're part of this body of Christ. And um, so we need to have this gratitude to God for all that he's done and all that he's doing and all that he's given us. Um, and then this is leading to a really big thing, sounds small, but a really big thing and really kind of a hard thing if we're really honest, okay? So, you know, be wise, don't be foolish, use your time, uh, you know, live by God's will, don't let anything control your life but the Holy Spirit, you know, get together, worship together, encourage each other, be thankful, all leading to verse 21, the hard thing. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting. <laughs> That's not something that we're real excited about, are we? Submitting. 
Uh, first of all, we submit to God. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means in just a moment. But we submit to God. See, the Christian life is a life of submission. Let me just say that. The Christian life is a life of submission. We first submit to God. Okay? And that's what we've already been talking about largely here. But that submission to God then leads us to also submit to each other. To submit to each other. Motivated by God to do that. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And the fear of God means that, that God has such an important place in my life. And, and he's told me to do this. And so therefore I am submitting myself to you. Well, what does submit mean? Submit means to arrange under, to arrange under. Uh, in other words, we have something here, we have two things, and when this one submits to this one, what it does is it arranges itself underneath, okay? Now, when he's telling us to submit to each other, and this word means uh, to arrange ourselves under the other person, uh, this idea of submit and arranging under can be submitting to authority, Okay, we get that we submit to God as our authority. There's human authorities that we have to submit to. Okay, we arrange ourselves under them. But it doesn't just mean that. It means something more and probably a bigger thing is it means that we submit ourselves to what each other needs. Now, I don't think that was a very good grammar how I just said that. Uh, but the idea is, is you have certain needs in your life Certain things that are important to you, that matter to you, maybe things you're going through in life. That's what's happening. And I got my life and I look at you and I go, well, you know what? I, I can give up this or that or the other thing and come under here to support you. You see that? I'm coming up. I'm yielding some of my rights. I'm yielding my desires, maybe my preferences. Maybe I'm yielding some of my money. And what I'm doing is I'm coming under you to help support you and meet your needs. And likewise, you can do to me. So this is what it says here, right? That's what we are to do for each other. Now, let me give you an example of this uh, that's very real to me. Um, how many of you share my desire, almost passion, for watching the New England Patriots? I mean, I, I thought there'd be more of you. But anyway, the fall is coming, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be, and I love that. I love to, to watch the games, sit down at my house and watch the games. I'm living vicariously, I know, through them, and that's a, uh, so they better win. Uh, <laughs> but so that's happened. And many times the games are on Sunday, they start at 1 o'clock, right? Well, we have a worship service here that goes to 12, 12.05, sometimes 12.10 when the pastor's talking longer than he ought to. And um, the service is over and we talk, we fellowship. And let me give you some examples. So maybe been here for a half an hour, you know, the game's gonna start in about 20 minutes and normally I can get out of here and get home and maybe grab something to eat and sit down and watch the game. But let's say I look across the, the foyer out there and I see you and you're still there for some reason. And I get this sense, which I believe is prompting the Holy Spirit, it says, go talk to him, go talk to her. Okay, and so I do. I walk over and just talk. How are you doing? What's going on? What's happening in your life? And all of a sudden it becomes clear that there is something under the surface here that is big for you. You know, I don't know what it is, but you're not saying it. 
But you know how it is when you're talking to someone, you can just tell that something isn't right, that there's something going on there. And at that point, I have a choice to make because I can say, you know what? They aren't telling me anything. And the game starts in 20 minutes. It was awesome seeing you here today. And now I go. Or I can genuinely care and lean into the conversation and ask some more questions that most likely will get them to share. Well, really, here's what's happening. Here's what I'm struggling with here. I don't know how to get free of this or I don't know what I'm gonna do. And sometimes those things are really deep emotionally. And, it's, it's, and we're not gonna solve it all right then, but it is so important that I engage with this person and have this conversation and listen. And I know at that moment that I am going to miss the kickoff. I'm going to miss the first few minutes of the game. I may miss more than the first quarter of the game. And I almost always choose to lean in and ask the question. Why? Because I'm submitting myself to you because of what God has said, because of what God has done for me and what he's told me now to do for you. And, and this is not because I'm the pastor, all right? Do you understand what I'm saying? All that I have described you to is not because I'm the pastor, okay? I do have that role, I understand that, but it's because the Holy Spirit has prompted me and led me. And so what I'm doing at that point is I am saying, okay, look, I can, I can just kind of let this slide and, and go home and watch the game, or I can arrange my life under you here to, to begin to minister to you and to meet your needs. And I've never done that and ended up regretting it. Never. So this is the idea of the Christian life being a life of submission. We are to submit ourselves to one another, arrange ourselves under each other as need be. Now, does this, when I submit like that, and I see, you know, choosing to, to spend time with you and, and to help you and support you, does that mean that you're more important than I am? Really, are you a more important person than I am and that's why I have to do that? I know you guys know me, and some of you are looking at me and say, he's asking me a trick question, isn't he? <laughs> I'm not. No, the reality is, no, you're no more important than that. We're both equally important. We're both equally valuable. But I, God has commanded me, so I'm willingly submitting myself to you. Uh, you see, this is God's perfect wisdom on display. This is how God works and challenges us and grows us to minister to each other. But it takes that conscious choice to submit ourselves to one another for that to be real. Now, Paul goes on here in this chapter and begins to talk about what does this submission look like in specific kinds of relationships. We're supposed to submit to each other in the fear of God. What does that look like in a relationship between children and parents? Okay, children are to obey their parents and be submissive to them. Uh, parents are to submit to their children by going out of their way to be the parents that those children need and to do so in a way that's sensitive to those children. And so they submit themselves to each other like that. Um, are the children more important than the parents? It's, it's not trick questions today. Are the children more important than the parents? No, but the parent will what? Come under and give their life to support. Are the parents more important than the children? No, because the children are to do what? 
you know, willingly come under their parents and do what they say. And then it goes on and talks about uh, what we would apply to employees and employers. It talks about employees are supposed to, uh, you know, do what their employer wants them to do with a right heart attitude and do it like they're doing it for the Lord. And then the employer is supposed to also be faithful and be faithful to this employee and encourage this employee and help this employee. All right. And so there's this mutual submission going on. Does that mean the employee is more important than the employer? No. Is the employer more important than the employee? No, but they have this mutual submission that needs to be going on. And, and, and uh, this is God's wisdom. He knows what's best. He knows how things work best. And, and marriage comes under this as well, under this idea of mutual submission, where a husband and wife both you know, here, here, this is me, this is Glenda. Uh, how do I do this? This is me, this is Glenda. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just having fun up here today. Is that okay? Um, so this is me, this is Glenda. And so in our marriage, there are many times in many ways where I need to arrange myself under her and be there to support her. And that means I may give up my preferences. I don't get to do things the way I want, when I want. Might even have to give up some dreams. Might have to give up some money, whatever, but right, I do that. And there are times when she has to do the same for me. And that's the way God intends for it to be in His wisdom. God knows best. Uh, when, when we talk about love, the kind of love that God says, God's love is love that always acts in the best interest of the person loved, even when it's costly. Isn't that how Jesus loved us? He acted in our best interest, even when it was very costly for him having to die for our sins. And so when he tells us to love each other that way, that means that we love each other too. We act in the other person's best interest, even if it's costly to us. And so that motivates us in marriage to have this mutual submission. Uh, yeah, look, I, I'm gonna act in Glenda's best interest here, even though it's going to be costly to me in some way. She's gonna act in my best interest, even when it's costly to her in some way. And the Lord demonstrated this, as I said, when Jesus came, the Son of God came, and ended up taking the penalty for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world as he died on the cross. He took the guilt, the penalty, died that way. Three days later, rising from the dead, and, and amazing thing, he just tells us that if we will acknowledge and admit that we have blown it, that we have sinned is the Bible word, and that our sins have separated us from God, and if we die in that condition, we'll be separated from forever in hell. But he says, all you gotta do is acknowledge that you, you have sinned and you have this need, believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, put your faith in him, he does what? Forgives every sin, every sin, okay? Gives you eternal life and comes to live inside and begin to help you. To, to change your life in these good and awesome and amazing ways. Do we need to doubt God's goodness? Jesus has already proven that God is good. Okay? I know we have things in our life that we don't always understand, but God is good. So let's, let's what we're going to do here for this week, week and, and next week is we're going to focus in on 
uh, this marriage relationship and look what submission you know, is like. So Paul said in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So what does that look like? We already said, what's it look like in kids and parents? What's it look like in employers and employees? Well, what's it look like in marriage between a husband and wife? So uh, let's begin in verse 22. We're going to talk about wives today. It says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay, so the question, how do husbands and wives submit to each other? And we start with the wife, how does she submit to, each, to her husband? And says so she submits to her husband by submitting <laughs> to her husband. <laughs> Wait a minute, is, is that what it means? Is that, that what's supposed to be going on here? Uh, and yes, that is what the Bible is talking about here. And we're gonna uh, drill down to that in just a little bit. But let me just be real clear here, because I, obviously what the Bible just said there when we read it is politically incorrect in our society today. Do you agree? It's not the norm, it's not the way people think. We've already established God knows best and his wisdom, so we're gonna start there. But here's what I wanna say. It says, wives, submit yourselves to whom? Look in there, what's it say? Submit yourselves to whom? You got your ladies out there? Your own husbands. This is not a male-female thing. This is not women submit to men. That's not at all what it says. It's talking about in the marriage relationship. Here is how you submit you know, in a mutual submission to your husband, you submit yourself to him. Well, the question, well, aren't husbands and wives equal in marriage? Absolutely, yes, they are, okay? They both have uh, roles to fill that God has given them, both equally important. And yet one is told to submit to the other. Well, what's going on there? Well, the idea is this. You, you are as equal in marriage as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are equal as God. Okay, because I want to show you something here. Very, scripture very clear. We'll just look at a couple examples of this. John chapter 1, uh, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and who was the Word? Well, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? Jesus, the Son of God. And it says before he ever came to earth, he was what? With God. And he was God. He is equal to God. Jesus reaffirmed this in John chapter 10 when he said, I and my Father are one. There is a oneness between them. They are equal and they are one. But when Jesus came down to earth, he submitted himself to his Father. He arranged himself under his Father. In John chapter five, Jesus says, the works which the Father has given me to finish, okay? So the Father has given me things to do. So he's arranged himself under the Father. He says, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So who's sending who? The Father has sent the Son. The Son is submitting to the Father. Are they equal? Are they equal? Absolutely, they are one. And yet he is submitting. 
Okay, uh, in John chapter eight, he says, I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. What I'm saying to you is what my father has told me to say to you, okay? So there's definitely an authority relationship here, and yet they are equal and one, all right? So what I want you to understand is when God tells someone in the Bible to submit themselves to another people, he, a person, he isn't saying that they are inferior, he isn't saying they have less ability. He isn't saying that they have less value. No, he has just given them a role to fill. Now, for Jesus to accomplish what he did, he had to be under submission to his father. And there's reasons why. We don't have time to look at that today. But the role required submission. Well, in marriage, in God's wisdom, his perfect understanding, when it comes to the wife, he says, the role requires submission. Not because you're not valuable, not because you, you, you might be better at some things than your husband, not because any of those things, it's just because for this to work the way God intends, he's given you the role that requires submission. Okay, all right, so let's talk a little bit about what this looks like then for a wife. First of all, uh, let's look again. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband, excuse me, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And so we talked about when we put ourselves underneath another person, a wife is under the authority of her husband. That's what the Bible says. Now, once again, it's like, Okay, before we're done here, I'm going to try to clarify this and help you to see how this is intended to work by God. But it says she's under her husband's authority, okay? And under the authority here, there's something that comes with authority. Um, when God grants, it puts someone, let me back this up. So God has given me a responsibility and authority over my children, Okay, we've already talked about that, right? I have authority over my children. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple things. One is it means that I give them direction. You know, I help them to know here's where we're going, here's where the things are supposed to work, and here's where you need to go in life. And, and, and so we give direction. That's what it says, Jesus, the head of the church, husband, head of the wife, okay? But it also says he's the savior of the body. And we read that that's in that verse 23 also. That's the idea of protection. And so for my children, I provide for them an umbrella of protection to them, okay? You can imagine that, right? There's, it, it protects them. It's like you carry an umbrella out in the rain, it protects you, right? Well, I'm trying to protect my children from the things that are gonna harm them. And I'm working with them to help them to know where God wants them to go and what God wants them to do. Well, when God places, it says to the wife, you know, I want you to arrange yourself under your husband, that comes with it an umbrella of protection. When you submit to your husband, God will work in your life and will provide you protection through that. He will also help you working with your husband to, to have direction in your life and what it is God wants you to do. Well, I can figure that out on myself. Well, sure you can, but God says, let's do it this way because God in his wisdom knows what's best and he is Good. So it's under husband's authority. Now, let me say this to you. We are never going to read anywhere in the Bible where it says husbands are to make their wives be under their authority. 
God does not command husbands to put their wives under their authority. He does not. Next week we're going to see what he commands them. Okay? He tells wives, God tells wives to put themselves, to put themselves under their husband's authority. Why? Because they're under God's authority. And he says to. Do you see the difference? So we're not talking about anybody lording over anybody. That's not the way this kind of authority works. So she is told to be under her husband's authority. And look down in verse 33. It says, he's summarizing this whole thing about marriage here. And he says this, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his, his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband, that she respects him. And so it's telling us here that this submitting comes with respect, genuine respect from the heart. This man is valuable. This man is worth knowing. This man is worth growing close to. This man is worth following and going through life with. I respect you. Now, that's hard when he ain't acting respectable, isn't it? It is hard. But the Lord says, do you respect him? Um, and, and I think what's going on here, God knows that, that let me back up, it's, it's counterintuitive to you, ladies. And not just ladies, to all of us. But it's counterintuitive to you. If your husband is not acting like a respectable man, he's, he's being selfish, he maybe he's being sinful in some way, or, or he's not paying attention, or whatever it is, you know, you think what I have to do is hold that over him. I gotta make sure he knows he's not doing right. I gotta show him that he doesn't measure up. Otherwise, he'll think everything's fine, right? But God says, no, respect him. Because when you treat him with respect, I guarantee you that that is going to impact him. That is going to help him to realize, wait, I do have this role to begin to feel the weight of responsibility because now you're looking to him for that. And, and somehow God has set it up where when a wife shows this kind of respect, a respectful submission to her husband, it motivates him to become more respectable. Okay? That's the way God has set it up. And, and the, the title of this sermon it talks about ladies first and trying to wonder why does God, every place in the Bible, in, in Ephesians, in 1 Peter, and even in Colossians, why does he always give instructions to the wife first? I don't know, you think you might give instructions to the one who's supposed to lead first, but he doesn't, he gives it to the wife first. And all I can think is that it's, it's such a powerful thing when a wife genuinely from the heart chooses to respectfully submit to her husband that it is a powerful thing in his life and enables him then to assume, I say enables him, but enables him to assume his responsibilities. Understand the husband's responsible either way to be what he's supposed to be, but you can make it easy for him or you can make it really hard, ladies. And when you show respectful submission, you make it much easier for him to be the kind of man that he is supposed to be. And so you're under authority and you respect your husband. And so let's, let's talk about an analogy here now. Let's talk about the dance. Traditional ballroom dancing. Have you ever seen it? I mean, traditional kind. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? It can be amazing, right? And, and tr in traditional ballroom dancing, uh, there is, in the couple, there's always a lead. They call it a, the lead, and then there's the follow, 
That's what they call them. In traditional ballroom dancing, that's the man is typically the lead and the woman is the follow. Now, as they dance, when, when they both figure out how to do what their role is, my role is the lead. What does that mean? And how do I do that? And, and then it says, my role is the follow. And, and how do I do that? When they get that right, magic happens. Okay? They don't have, I mean, it's, there is dancing where they have memorized choreography. But, but the traditional ballroom dancing is not that. It moves and flows, this leader and a follower. And when we watch that, do we find ourselves focusing on one of them or the other of them? No, we find ourselves focusing on what? Them together. Now, is the lead more important than the follow? No. Is the follow more important than the lead? No. When they both fulfill their roles, it's a beautiful thing. And that's the way it is in a marriage. When both fulfill their roles, it is a beautiful thing. God does something special. And really what he does is he shows the world what his relationship is like with his people. That's what is set up in the verses. Like we submit to the Lord and like he leads us. Boy, there's so many more things we could talk about. And uh, you may have a lot of questions. That, that's cool. It's good. Feel free to talk to me, talk to each other, get in a life group, talk about it there. But um, I think we get the, the core idea here, right? This is the way God has set it up in his wisdom. So what I want to leave you with today, and this is not just for wives, for every one of us. There's something that we need to settle in our hearts and minds. We got to settle this. God either knows what he's talking about or he isn't God. Right? And so when we hear what God says, and sometimes it doesn't line up with what we think or what seems natural to us, and, and we say, well, I don't think God really knows what he's talking about there. And we don't say those words, but we live that way. We're living like he isn't God. Which is a foolish thing to do, by the way. So we need to settle in our hearts today that he is God, that his ways are best, they are right. And that when we honor him by following those things, that we do the very best thing we could ever do for ourselves. So we need to settle today that he is God, that he does know what he's talking about, and that we are choosing to follow his lead. Choose today to settle this and follow his lead lead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, this is a, because of where we come from in life and the culture in which we live. This is not an easy subject. It's pretty clear, but it's not easy for lots of reasons. And so Father, I pray that you'd help us to grow in our understanding of it. But I pray most importantly, Father, that even though we don't understand it all or sometimes it's hard for us or we struggle, that we would settle once and for all in our hearts. You are God, we are not. You know what you're doing perfectly. Your wisdom is the very best for us. And that we would yield ourselves to follow your lead. 
please just don't let us have peace, Father, until we settle that today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You are dismissed. Next week we will talk to husbands.